Hey, Restoration family, what's up? Justin here. Uh, this particular podcast today is going to sound a little different, and that's because we had some technical difficulties on this particular morning uh, with our podcast recording, and so instead of just doing a dry recording of a podcast, I went on Facebook Live. So you're hearing the very same message, except this was on Facebook Live later in the night. So you can still go to restorationlex.com slash this week and find everything you need there. Links and announcements and worship guide, everything for your discipleship in the week ahead. All right. Love you guys. And here we go. Um, I was uh, looking this week on Twitter and I saw this, um, I saw this picture from a waiter. And the picture was uh, how he was serving this family of Christians who were receiving a, a very nice meal. And at the end of the night, the picture that he shows on Twitter was of the bill. It seemed like it was a very expensive dinner, but for the tip, instead of leaving money, the waiter left, uh, the waiter was left a, a, a New Testament, a, a Gideon's New Testament. And I mean, Twitter exploded with, oh my gosh, just the, the, uh, rightfully uh, discussed at something like that. I'm sure if you and I were to, I don't know, look to survey all the Lexington restaurants about how the people who come in after church on Sundays uh, treat the waiting staff, I'm sure we would get some stories. I actually saw this, uh, some, uh, an Onion article this week that was talking about this. It was talking about um, this very thing, and the, the title of this article was New Square Features Allow customers to tip with a Bible quote. I laughed and then I kind of cried a little bit and then laughed more because it's true with sometimes our witness, even with the best intentions, leaves people pushed away from God instead of being drawn towards him. I don't doubt in any way that the people who do these things have the best of intentions, but increasingly in a very suspicious world when it comes to our faith, we have to have the conversation of what it looks like for us to bear witness in the world, how we actually interact with people who are outside of the faith. That's where our lectionary passage was today in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. We talked about salt and light. So we're going to look at this in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. It says, you are, Jesus is speaking here, the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So what does it mean to be salt of the earth? Now, in Jesus' day, salt was a precious commodity. First, it was a preservative. Uh, in a time before refrigerators, the way that you preserve meat and fish was to put it in salt. It kept it longer so you could eat it for a longer period of time. It was highly valuable. Andrew Wilson has pointed out, actually, that this word salary that we have for what we get paid from our work comes from, the root of this comes from Roman soldiers actually being paid in salt. That's how valuable it was to preserve the food that we ate. But it wasn't just a preservative, it was also, as we know it, as a, a flavor. Salt, if you think about it, is not the flavor of the meal, it is what enhances the flavor of the meal. If you eat salt or eat a meal and the first thing you taste is salt, chances are you're not going to finish the meal because salt is not the point of the meal, right? Salt is given to enhance 
what the meal actually is. You know, what we find in Jesus' statement is that we are a people who preserve and enhance what is around us. Where there is decay, we preserve the goodness and the life that is to be found. We inhabit the world to enhance it by our presence, not take away. We add value. We do not take away what we see in the world. In fact, when we make ourselves the center of attention, when we become the very thing that garners the attention instead of the meal itself, like the salt, we actually abdicate. We lose. We distract ourselves from what our calling actually is. And this warning from Jesus that if it loses its saltiness, then guess what? It's no good anymore. We just throw it out. It's, it's a needed warning because if we as a church are not who we were created to be in the first place, if we cease to be a people who preserve and actually enhance what around, is around us instead of taking away value from the world, we are useless to the world apart from this calling. Jesus continues on. He says, you are the light of the world. A town that is built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, and instead they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, that it may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, in Jesus' time, we didn't have the light pollution like we have today, where we constantly see light all around us. And so, in the darkness of the night, you could look for miles around and see cities on top of a hill that were lit up. And as a weary traveler in the night, to see that city, that it's coming near, it was a place of comfort. As you're traveling through the darkness, light was a precious commodity because not only is light revealing what is around you, it's giving you a clearer way forward. That is too what our calling is as a church. We illuminate. We are a people who reveal and illuminate the way forward. This is what Jesus makes clear. We are, as a church, not a hidden commodity. Our world is heavy on privatized religion. We have been taught to believe that we are supposed to push ourselves away from the darkness to hold up, but we are made to be seen. We are made to help people see in light of who we are. Light is who we have been declared to be by Jesus. Light is what it's doing what it naturally does, meaning that in the world that is being smothered by darkness, oftentimes we are those who go before and light the way forward. And Jesus says we do this through good deeds. Now, this idea of good deeds, I hate that phrase, good deeds, because it's often detached from our everyday life. You've probably heard somebody say, I'm going to go do my good deed for the day, as if good deeds are something that is separate from what we actually live and experience in our everyday life. Sometimes that message becomes, unfortunately, Christians, if we go and do a bunch of nice things for people, then everyone will start to like Jesus. It very easily turns into a marketing campaign, into this self-righteous parade of our greatness. And I, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about when he says that our good deeds are what show our light to the world. In fact, throughout the Gospels, he says the exact opposite. In the very next chapter, it begins, Matthew 6, was saying, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, because if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Later on, chapter 23, he condemns this very act of Pharisees. He says, everything they do is for show. 
On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra long tassels, and they love to sit at the head of the table at banquets and the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk into marketplaces and to be called rabbi. Clearly, Jesus' message isn't to do good things in order to draw attention. That's not what he is saying. And yet the life that we are called to live as the light of the world is clearly visible. It's something that we are to do in light of how people see us in the world. The problem, I believe, lies in, it's in how we separate action from identity. Jesus never says you will be the light of the world if you do X, Y, and Z. He says you are the light of the world. You, meaning individually and collectively as a body, you already are the light of the world. This word here for good deeds in the Greek, this ergon, it basically means work. And I wonder as I read this, whether Jesus is speaking of saying that our light shines forth in the good, ordinary work, the good, ordinary faithfulness of our lives that we live day in and day out as a living witness to how God has shifted our inner world, how God has changed and restored us. This is the heart of 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. I love these words. I think they are central to our mission as Christians in the 21st century. Peter is assuming there is something about our life that is so different and so compelling that people come to us and ask us how we have this kind of hope. It doesn't say that we do this as the center of attention. It says that how we live individually and collectively causes people to wonder why they are so hopeful. It doesn't present a picture of Christians parading their goodness and their good deeds around the world. People can see right through our marketing campaigns. They can see right through our Christian bravado. They can see right through our slogans. And what I have seen over and over again in my conversations with people is people have their, uh, their antennas up. They are already expecting the facade. They are already expecting the marketing they're never expecting the real thing. And I think the problem with that is, is, if you're a Christian who is aware of that, if you're a Christian who has watched very many bad witnesses to our faith in the public square, we look at bad witness and we use it as an excuse for no witness at all. We use it as an excuse to shrink back from the world and not live out what we believe in compelling and different ways through our lives. And I think Jesus is actually calling us into this tension here. I think Jesus is calling us into the tension of bearing witness through ordinary faithfulness, but not trying to draw attention to ourselves. Our lives of faith, they may draw attention, but they should never demand attention. They should be compelling and different. They should 
make people think, what is different about these people? But when we begin to demand attention for our own power and gain, when we begin to demand attention through our good deeds, we betray the very beliefs that we say that we hold. I'm convinced that we have overestimated the impact of these big attention-grabbing spectacles that we love to put together in the name of Jesus. And we have massively underestimated the power of ordinary faithfulness in the lives of, of you and I. I mean, it's simply sometimes being the one who doesn't gossip about our coworkers and refuses to belittle them behind their back. I mean, it's being the one who doesn't cut corners and fudge the numbers so we can get just a little bit ahead. It's being the one who actually willingly apologizes when they've done something wrong, when they've hurt someone, instead of perpetuating constant division and conflict. It's someone who chooses family and health over the culture of workaholism. It's being the one who chooses to encourage and to speak kindness instead of cynicism and bitterness. It's being the one who notices the weariness and the pain in the lives of our neighbors and co-workers and family and friends and enters into that story with prayer and comfort. These are the things I believe over time mark us as a people of hope, noticeably, tangibly different. The kind of witness the kind of life that when we trust that God is already present and at work in all things that we can step into as he opens the door to actually speak to the hope that we have. It draws attention to Jesus, but it does not demand attention. You know, recently I was asked, what's your mission strategy at Restoration? Now, I always get nervous with these preachery questions like that. And I think maybe what this person meant was, you know, how are you drawing people in? How, what's your plan to, to get the word out about your service? Or what, what events are you doing, are you doing to, to cause people to, you know, want to consider following Jesus? And so I, I wanted to answer today what that answer is. What is our mission strategy once and for all? And so write this down. Here is the restoration mission strategy. It's you. You are the mission strategy. Your ordinary life, your ordinary faithfulness as you follow Jesus where you are is the most compelling witness we have in the body of Christ. In my lifetime, I may preach hundreds or thousands of sermons. We may have great music. We may have awesome services in kids' ministry and outreach, but still the most compelling, the most lasting witness we have is your life, where you are, and trusting that where God has placed you in the family, in the friends, in the job, in the neighborhood, that God has placed you there to join him as an ordinary faithful witness to what he is already doing in your life. So why we, we, we will have events, absolutely. We're having a chicken wing championship next week while we strive to make our gatherings and communities a place where the welcoming presence of God is known and, and experienced. Our kingdom mission doesn't happen primarily in a room on Sunday. That's just the God honest truth. It happens 
as we equip and empower and send you out into the world as disciples to live out in ordinary faithfulness and draw people in with the hope that you have. I truly believe that. And I believe it's the strategy of the early church, honestly. If you look at the early church, they had no power or privilege. They simply had the trust that God was already working around them and that their lives as compelling as they could be, in a very difficult circumstance, that would draw people in. Alan Kreider, he wrote this awesome book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And then he writes this. He says, It was not primarily what the Christians said that carried weight with outsiders. It was what they did and embodied that was both disconcerting and converting. It was their habitus, their reflexes, and the way of life that suggested that there was another way to perceive reality that made the Christians interesting, challenging, and, and worth investigating. So when you are living, when you and I are living without power and privilege and publicity, you have to learn to trust that God is already present and at work around you. You have to learn to understand that the ordinary faithfulness of our witness is powerful enough to proclaim the hope that we have, is powerful enough to open the doors to conversations. Am I saying that we never use words? No. What I'm saying is that for centuries, for generations, thousands of years, Christians have first trusted that their lives were a witness that drew people Alan Crowder continues, he says, the Christian's focus was not on saving people or recruiting them. It was on living faithfully in the belief that when people's lives are rehabituated in the way of Jesus, others will want to join them. Now, as a caveat, as I close, I know when I talk about mission for many in our church who have been a part of uh, painful church backgrounds or experiences that have been straining. Maybe I know a lot of people in our church are in a season of rest after being in ministry for many years or recovering from hurt and trauma, lots of different stuff. And so I know that word mission, that word mission can sometimes, sometimes be code word for busyness, let's be honest. It can be code word for adding more and more stuff to an already busy life. And if that's you, I want you to know you're seen. And I want you to know that one of the most refreshing things I think about our, our idea, our mission as a church, is, is that we believe that God is already present and at work in places. Meaning that I don't take God to people in places that he is already not. You don't take God to people in places where he is absent. God is already present in the lives of your coworkers. He's already present in the lives of your family and friends and job and school. God is already there and already working, and it's our job simply to join him. The weight is not on our shoulders. God is always going before us. We don't outmission God. He's already pursuing people and places to redeem and restore all we got to do is join him. That, to me, is one of the most freeing things that has transformed how I understand my life in Christ, quite honestly. I was exhausted for years, thinking mission was this 
urgency that was on my shoulders as if God was waiting for me to get my act together so that he could work. But my friends, this is the good news of the gospel, that God is already on mission. God is already restoring. And he's restoring a people like us who go and have the courage and boldness to join him through ordinary faithfulness where they already are. And so what I want to encourage us here tonight, for those who are joining us, is this. For if you have had a reactionary life against a bad witness that has allowed you or pushed you towards having no witness at all, I want you to ask the Lord for boldness and courage to step into the life that he's called you to. And secondly, I know there are people who are maybe on the outside looking in that you want to see come to know and meet Jesus, that you're praying for, that you're loving. Maybe you feel impatient. Maybe you are afraid to talk to them. Maybe you just know this and you're not really sure what to do next. I just want to you to, to pray for them. I'm going to take some time, as we did this morning, and pray for those folks who we want to see come into the kingdom of God and find the restoration that Jesus promises. So as I close today, I just want to encourage you to do that. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us. Father, I am deeply grateful that however you speak to us in any given time, whether it be here tonight on Facebook Live or this morning, that you stir hearts. And I know you were stirring this morning, thinking through the people and places that you are calling us to. And I just pray, Lord, that you would give us confidence in the ordinary witness of our lives of faithfulness right where we are. That you give us confidence that you are already on mission where we are. And then our job is just to join you. Help us to be salt and light. Help us to preserve and enhance. Help us to illuminate and light the way forward in a dark world. May we be a witness to the love that we have. May we, together as a community, live such a compelling and different life that people ask what kind of hope that we have. Make us a church like that, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks for joining us here on this random Facebook Sunday night. You can go to restorationlex.com slash this week for community questions and next steps and resources. We'll be back on Sunday as usual. Lots of stuff happening. Our Chicken Wing Championship. If you want to sign up for that, you can find that on the Church Center app. All sorts of stuff. Just go over to restorationlex.com slash this week. Every single link and all you need to know is right there. All right, cool. I love you guys and we will see you this week.